And now, back to Stand Up with Pete Dominic on Indy. Sirius XM 104. Ask anybody in the street about the meaning of the Constitution, about the meaning of America itself, and they'll give you a one-word answer. Freedom. A guy once told me this is a free country. A free country. Free country. God damn it, this is a free country. But take a look at the Constitution. There are about 4,500 words in it, and freedom is not one of them. The delegates learned very quickly that they'd made a mistake. It would take the first 10 amendments to the Constitution to fix that little omission. But exactly what freedoms were guaranteed back then? And how free are we really today? All right, that is uh, just a quick excerpt uh, from our next guest's new PBS series, which uh, aired on uh, Tuesdays in May. And you can watch it online as I have been it is so, so good. And uh, and now he is joining us to talk about this new series that he did for PBS, which is just fantastic. I, I talked to him one time in my life, but I've been following him and everything he's done. Uh, but he joined me on my short-lived uh, CNN show one time. Peter Sagel now joining us. Peter, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure, Pete. How are you? I'm really, really good. It's great to have you uh, in the conversation. I love Constitution USA. I'm oh, sad that it's you. it's done. I know. So am I. I Are you really? I I am, actually. Every Tuesday night, I want to be sitting around and, you know, watching myself do more strange things than a motorcycle. I don't know. I turn on PBS. There's some nonsense about, you know, Frontline or something or, you know, Susan Powder asking for money. I'm like, where am I? Where did I go? Uh, Four-part series, right? Is that right? Four four hours? Yes, four Um, hours of documentary goodness. It really is fantastic. What a great idea that you came up with. You said, I'm going to get a motorcycle, drive all over the country, and talk to people about the Constitution, and, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll film it. Exactly, although I wish it was my idea. Um, what, what happened instead was I was approached, oh, I guess about two years ago, by these producers out of New York who themselves had been commissioned by Twin City Public TV. Basically, the idea was do something about the Constitution. It's the 225th anniversary of its ratification. And these New York producers, Steve Ives and Amanda Pollack, were like, well, yeah, you know, they had done lots of PBS documentaries in the PBS documentary style with lots of panning shots of landscapes and serious narrators intoning historical fact. And they didn't want to do that anymore. And they thought it might be more interesting if they got somebody on camera to be sort of the central figure, uh, the on-camera host. And they thought of me, and I was very excited about it. And then talking to them, we came up with the idea of a road trip. And then we came up with the idea of a motorcycle, because many years ago in my lost youth, I had ridden motorcycles. And the next thing you know, we're buying a Harley Davidson with private funds, I need to say. Yeah, I'm glad uh, you mentioned that, because very disappointed in that part, the beginning of hour one, where you you go into a Harley dealership, and basically it's really fun to watch this. It's a very funny thing in that that the woman with all the tattoos who I'm in love with now, who is hilarious and busting your chops, really funny. Get behind me in terms of like... Yeah, she was something. And by the way, I want to say she was an actual sales girl in a Harley Davidson shop here in Illinois. And um, Leah was her name, is her name. She's out there somewhere. And we walked in and they like, we had arranged with them to have a saleswoman, a salesperson show me around. And they gave us this woman and we pointed over at Leah and we said, can we use her? And she was like, oh, I've never been on camera. I don't know how to do this. And we said, you'll be fine. She right she away attacks natural. you. On camera, I hear her. She says to Peter Sagan, she goes, you're so pretentious. And to, like, I don't think anybody's probably ever said that to you on camera. It was so much fun to watch that back and forth. But I was upset because you just roll out with a Harley. 
and yeah. and like that's like that's that's an expensive motorcycle. You roll out not only with just a Harley, a custom Harley uh, that says "We the People," uh, all, all made up for this, almost specifically for this documentary, and it's, well, it it made it look easy to get a Harley, Peter. It, it, it's it's fairly easy if you have eighteen thousand dollars in your pocket. You can get one as soon as your show's done today. I don't see what the problem here is. Actually, <laughs> you also make it look easy to ride a motorcycle. Are you a motorcycle guy? I was, and what happened was, is I I rode a motorcycle in my misspent youth, and um, it had been many many years. I'd given up for marriage and maturity and fatherhood, <laughs> and uh, then I gave up all those things and got a motorcycle again. I decided that was the better part of the deal. No, uh, what happened was they said, "Oh, you ride motorcycles?" We know, and I said, "Oh, I, I used to." And they said, "Well, we'll get you, we'll get you, we'll get you tuned up again, as it were." So I took a refresher course and a riding course. I got my license renewed. But when I sat down in the shot on that motorcycle, it was the, literally the first time I'd ever ridden that motorcycle, and I had to ride it out of the shop. And what you don't see, because the camera doesn't pan with me, is that I come within one centimeter of whacking that thing into the door and ending <laughs> the project before it began. Uh. I mean, let, let's get into uh, th- this whole series. I can't tell you, Peter, how much I'm enjoying this. I really like. I'm a huge fan of yours, of course, and and it's my dream to be on. Wait, wait, don't tell me. And I know a lot. I know Ophira Eisenberg and a lot of people that you have on, and I think that's a great show. So I l- already love what you do there. But this series is so well done because you're so good at at kind of playing all sides of a story and and. You talk about so many issues that relate to the Constitution, and you you teach. I learned so much while you learned so much. I love that part of it, but you talk to a lot of characters, and I'm only halfway through hour two, and they are so passionate. They really are. And and you actually just hit upon one of the things that we started with as a concept for this, which is that most documentaries involve either an on-camera person or an off-camera voice who is omniscient, basically, about the topic at hand. Right, and right. He says, well, this is what you need to know, and I will explain it to you. And sometimes that's wonderful, like Brian Greene's science documentaries are awesome. But our approach was, what if you put somebody who knows presumably as little as the average listener does, I that is me, and you send that person on a journey to find out the answers to his questions? I mean, my job is not to explain, but to figure out stuff along with the audience. Oh, by the way, one thing I should say is, although the first run of this documentary is done, Anybody listening right now could see the thing in its entirety at PBS.org, and it's also being rerun on PBS stations. For well, the- I'm watching it on so, PBS.org, and it's, it, that, well, that's what are. I've been watching. Yeah, it's great. So, yeah, the people's opportunity to see this wonderful thing is not lost. Yeah. So, so, and I love the way that you did that. I love the way that you approach. I mean, that's pretty much how I approach this entire broadcast. I just, you know, ask questions, and I'm no expert on anything, but that's, that's basically the way you approach the Constitution, and you— you talk, I mean, just in the first hour of this series alone, of four hours, and people can watch it on PBS.org, talking to Peter Sagal, uh, you, you talk about um, you know states versus the federal government's power. And I even love the, the graphic packages that you guys put together, which, which help explain to my brain these things. From marijuana to guns, everybody's got an issue, uh, even in this first hour, that they care something about. And what yeah. was it like to, to get these people and talk with them about their issues? One of the really nice things uh, in terms of the reaction is I have heard at this point from just about everybody we spoke to, including uh, the gun advocate, Gary Marbet, and the marijuana advocate, Steve D'Angelo. And, and both of these guys, who are as different as you could possibly be in like, life and, and mission and style, have both praised me in the documentary saying, oh, you let me make my case. Yep. And that was really important to us because one of the things we really wanted to do 
uh, and I apologize to you as a veteran of cable news, is to get away from the cable news model of either having me arguing with people for entertainment or having people argue with each other. You're destroying America by that. Yes, I think so. I think I think cable news is destroying America. Here's to CNN. And, um, <laughs> where, we were, where you and I have the, have the uh, we're both bald guys. They tried to put on the air and it didn't work. Um, I know. I know. I thought about that so much watching you on this last night. I was oh, like, Seagull and his bald head. It's those yeah. eyebrows. It's those eyebrows. It's our time, Pete. It's it our is. Time. White ball guys need to be on on camera more. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was disappointed that watching this because you clearly uh, are not a marijuana user and clearly not a gun user, and yet you you show us uh, Peter Sagal uh, shooting a gun. You look like you know what you're doing, but you don't smoke pot for this. No, I, I sadly no, because it is still a federal crime, and we are still supported by grants from you know significant uh, federal institutions like the National Endowment for the Humanities. And I know we don't we didn't think it was like this. If I had said so, Steve D'Angelo, let me try some of this medical marijuana. <laughs> Here's my ale. Um, I thought. I, 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 go ahead, Peter. Sorry. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. No, the, the, the point of it was that, that, I mean, it was funny. You say we started with federalism, and my joke is, yeah, we wanted to lead with the sex. You know, everybody <laughs> crazy for federalism. <laughs> uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that so. I mean, to, to back up a little to the big picture, everybody is passionate about the Constitution, but few people, and including I would say myself before this project, understand how the Constitution really works. Right. As an example, one of the most important things about the Constitution is federalism, which means who controls your life, your local government, your state government, the federal government. When and where do they intersect? What happens when they're in conflict? Because that whole problem, A, is built into the Constitution that we all live under, and secondly, or B, is so important in so many of the debates we're actually having, even on cable news. For example, Obamacare. Um, Mitt Romney, who invented this idea in Massachusetts and put it in law, campaigned against it. His whole argument, you can do it at the state level, that's fine. You can't do it at the federal level. That's an argument about federalism. So it's a boring word for a really important and complex topic, which we set out to explain. And, of course, we started trying to explain it with marijuana because, as you know, Pete, marijuana makes everything seem more interesting. That certainly is true. What was I watching that I thought, oh, I was watching the Muppets, the, the old Muppet show with my daughters last night, Peter? Yes. A and yes. I'm like, uh, uh, the writer's room in, in the Muppet show must have been filled with smoke. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, um, but, and you yet, know, it worked for them. It did. Now, you know, I'll tell you, I have never come so I, – I think after watching Constitution USA with Peter Sagal on PBS.org, I think – I'm now a, a very conser I'm a conservative guy. I always consider cool. myself a very progressive liberal because I do I want um you know what if people in 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 this state want their you know their prayers on the wall and prayers in school and all their guns fine let them have it. I'm in New York state where we don't want that or I'm in Colorado where we've got our marijuana or I'm in you know, yeah. I, I, it made me want to be free of the federal government, and I've never, I've never really saw seen it that way until I watched your show. And that's not necessarily what you were trying to do, but it really made me understood understand uh, a more conservative uh, states' rights point of view a lot. Exactly. And well, I mean, you know, and we, I, I, I want to say one thing though that one of the things that's happened is that our debate has been distorted into these conservative and liberal. Um, positions. So, for yep. example, you just said, uh, I believe in states' rights. That's a conservative position. Is it? 
Steve D'Angelo. No, not the, you. You put you present it each way, man. It's so exactly. hard to know. Steve D'Angelo, who runs the Harborside Health Center in uh, Oakland, California, and also San Jose, who is the passionate uh, medical cannabis, he says, cannabis advocate that we interviewed that we've been discussing, he would be a passionate states' rights guy because he thinks, well, he knows that medical cannabis is legal in California, completely so. He follows the law to the letter, but he's a federal criminal because it's still a Schedule One drug. He is a states' rights advocate. Could you possibly find anything that he has in common with the other people who call themselves states' rights advocates, including Gary Marbet, our gun guy, who doesn't think the federal government should interfere with his right to sell guns in Montana? No. The point is, is that these debates, and they are important debates, get masked by these other debates about conservatives and liberal that aren't, I think, as essential to what's really going on in the country. And if that's one thing that we wanted to do with this show, Constitution USA, is we wanted to show people, no, this is the stuff that's really important. Stop, stop arguing about, you know, whatever the topic du jour is on MSNBC and Fox and start thinking about this stuff. It's really um, one of the most and I, I hate to keep kissing uh, your ass because it's, it's it sounds like a bad, you know, thing to do on the radio in a way. Peter well, Sagal, it's but early and I haven't showered and you don't want to be doing that. Right? I, I, I would from watching you, I would imagine it, it, it tastes like Swedish fish, but that's just a oh. guess. Uh, only, be, only because I, I always put them in my pants the night before. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> so the, it, it, Constitution USA with Peter Sagal, it, it changes my perspective on in so many ways because it opens my mind in so many ways and looks at the Constitution in so many ways. It's an unbelievable part where we watch Rand Paul do in, what, in my impression— is, is just really condescension to a, a government regulator, I think, at the EPA. And, and people might have seen this. But, and, and then uh, about toilets. Uh, and, 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 and then you take us into a toilet seller store. You blow my mind with the perspectives that you show. Because I'm like, wow, oh, Rand Paul's an idiot. How dare he say this? And then you look at it from a different perspective. Uh, and it's just all of it is so – I mean, my, my this thing – opened my mind so much that I was afraid that having you on this morning, I'd be too tired to talk to you because I was up late, so late watching it. Well, let's talk about toilets, you and I, Pete. This is actually an interesting point because what Rand Paul was doing, this was his first year as a senator after being elected in 2010, is a little famous on YouTube moment. He, he gave a lot of grief to a federal regulator and he complained to the regulator, my toilets in my house don't work. And it's your fault because the federal government is telling me what kind of toilet I can buy. And the federal government has no business interfering with me and my toilet. And it's silly, but he was intentionally using a silly example to make his larger point, a larger point held by a lot of people, that the federal government interferes in all these areas where the Constitution and common sense never meant, it, meant for it to go. So we explored this problem. Why doesn't Rand Paul's toilet work? And firstly, he has a point. The reason his toilet doesn't work is that in 1992 or thereabouts, the Constitution, excuse me, the Congress passed an uh, omnibus energy bill, which, among other things, restricted the flow of water in toilets. And there was a period between the passage of that law and the toilet manufacturers getting up to speed and how they can make the toilets work with that level of water, where almost any toilet you bought in America didn't work right. There wasn't enough water. And Rand Paul, we found out, built his home during that period. So he's got a legitimate beef. Why? When he uses his toilet, does he have to flush three times? That's because of the meddling federal government. However, we also talk to somebody who makes a passionate case 
that the federal government needs to do this because the federal government controls the entire country. You can't have um, one standard for water energy use in one country, in one state rather, and another in another, because we all share the same large pool of resources. We need to conserve water. We need to have energy policies that's standard across the state. Otherwise, it would be, imp- be impossible to run our country. We talked to a toilet saleswoman. A woman has been selling toilets near Washington. Her family has for 70 years. She says if we had a Kentucky toilet and what a Virginia toilet and a Maryland toilet and a New Jersey toilet, it would be <laughs> chaos. Right. You have to have a uniform standard across the country so you can have commerce, so you can have you know the, the good toilet companies of America selling toilets all over the country to the same standard. It makes sense. So this is not easy. You can't just scream, tyrannical federal government, give me my toilet or give me death, and walk away from the issue. Because even as stupid as toilets, there's really serious stuff going on. I do think, though, I do think the the federal government, the Obama administration, has gone uh, too far bringing us towards European-style socialism by introducing and forcing bidets on us. And I wonder what you think about that, Peter Sagal. There's not enough about that. I I have used a bidet by accident. And how long were you in the bathroom the first time you had a bidet? I was in there for like three hours. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to hear no bad word of it. Look, that, that bidet is special to me, okay? That should be a choice, though. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, yes. uh, you know, I, I, why do you – why did you inc- – You were born that way, why did you Why did you include so much history? Why does history matter? And I love the way that you did it, but – why does it matter so much in terms of uh, talking about how we got there on all of these issues? Well, well, here's the thing. First of all, for a PBS documentary, we don't include that much history at all. In fact, you know, the standard of PBS is to go back in history and show you portraits and pictures of old white guys in funny wigs. And we really wanted to get away from that. We wanted to make it contemporary. That's why there are so many interviews with people who are obsessed with current issues and fewer interviews with Shelby Footlike historians telling us about what it was like back in the day. However, you have to know your history, and most people don't. Um, For example, uh, most people think of the founding fathers, or there is a strain of thought these days, that the founding fathers were these divine figures who gave us this document that was perfect, uh, springing from their brain like Athena from Zeus, fully formed. Hmm. And that is our obligation to simply do what they wanted us to do, and that's that's best. Well, they weren't perfect. They dealt with compromise. They failed in many areas. For example, that three-fifths compromise, we call it, that a slave would be counted as three-fifths of a real person and a portioning representation. Not only was that a gross insult to the African-Americans who were held here in bondage, but it actually doomed this country to civil war because it gave slave power uh, far more representation and political power than they deserved by virtue of their population. The more slaves you had, the more votes you had. Yep. So that was a pretty bad error, you know. But if you understand what they were trying, what they really were trying to do, how they failed, how those failures played out, how subsequent generations of Americans from then till now have dealt with this, then you have a better view of the kind of problems we're dealing with now, the solutions that have been tried, the solutions that have worked, and the solutions that haven't. And you can't start trying to grapple with the real problems we have now unless you know how we got here. And it, I, I couldn't agree more. I learned that uh, and, and felt uh, that much more that way after watching uh, our uh, one of Constitution USA. We're talking to Peter Sagal, uh, who you probably know is uh, the host of NPR's quiz show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. 
he's also an author, an actor, and this new documentary. No one can do it better than Peter because he uses obviously humor, and he and, and he uh, goes out on a Harley, travels all over the country on a Harley, and talks to people about important issues regarding uh, the Constitution. In hour two, uh, titled "It's a Free Country," you spend a lot of time on religion and freedom from it. It's the first time I see uh, in this documentary you actually get a little frustrated with a guy uh, when he talks about uh, the tyranny of the majority. It really, really funny uh, moment there. Um, talk to me about that section of our two about the religion and how you dealt with that and what you covered. Well, again, you know, we're always looking for contemporary cases, people who can speak to us now of their experience rather than historians talking about other people. And we found a case, a religious freedom case, public establishment of religion, that's the Establishment Clause from Amendment 1. There was, on a wall in a high school in Rhode Island, a prayer. It had been there since the high school opened in the early 60s. And it was a fairly non-sectarian prayer. You know, it was like, dear God, Father above, help us be good students, help us do well, help us be good people. Amen. And it had been there for years until about four years ago, this young woman named Jessica Alquist, a freshman and a self-professed atheist, walks into the school and says, what is a prayer doing in a wall of my public school? She became the plaintiff in an ACLU case that was brought, and she succeeded, and the prayer was removed. So we talked to Jessica. Why did the prayer bother you? Why was it so important to you that your public school not have this thing on the wall? And then we talked to the guy who is now in his 60s, but as a um, high school student, a junior high school student, wrote the prayer, won the competition when the school was built in the 60s, and has so proudly known it's been on the wall since then. That was the guy you just mentioned. He is mad. Yeah. He doesn't understand why his prayer, which completely harmlessly hung on the wall for so many years, giving him that sense of pride, had to be taken down because some young woman objected to it. And hearing him say, you know, why, why can't she just look away? Why does she have to impose her views on everybody yeah. else? Who was it hurting this prayer of mine? Uh, what is wrong with a little prayer in a public space? You know, he sounds sometimes a little shall we say, intolerant, but he represents the majority view. This Certainly. girl, this girl was vilified in her community for standing up for what the court agreed was a constitutional principle. You can have religion, free to do it. You can have public schools, but you can't have religion in a public school. Basic rule. And, and you need to understand that. You can't just insist that the Constitution says this so it's right. You have to understand why people disagree. And you have to understand their passion, and you have yes. to understand their point of view, and then you have to understand why you had the rule in the first place. You, know? you, you just you just articulated that I think perfectly, as you so often do, Peter Sagal. I'm I'm going to find your weakness, and 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 it's not yeah, hair loss. That's a strength. But no, but no, you, absolutely. Get their brains closer to the surface. They have to understand <clears throat> why people disagree. That's so important that I've learned in, in hosting this program. And, and I, and I've come a long way on that. And, and you then went out and experienced it and talked to these people. Why did you interview that guy in a warehouse? And how did you get out of there, Peter? The, yeah, the reason <laughs> that um, we interviewed that guy in a warehouse, this is a great visual thing. And I give all credit to our producer, Chris Buchanan, who did amazing work finding these images and these places to go and these people to talk to. What happened was, is there was such controversy in this town, the suburb of, um, of uh, Providence called Cranston, there was such controversy that when they finally came to remove this prayer from the wall, they found out two things. First of all, it had been so long since it had been pasted up on the wall that it had basically adhered to the paint. They had to cut it out <laughs> of the plaster. And secondly, 
that it was so controversial, people were swearing that they would find it, you know, just as a sort of a guerrilla vigilante move, if you will, that they would take it and find it and put it back up on the damn wall as a gesture of defiance. And um, so it was decided that it would be taken down and removed, kept whole, they didn't destroy it because it was so valuable to so many people, and that they would basically hide it in an undisclosed location, which is why in the documentary, we don't tell you where we are when we're looking at this thing. And we oh. actually, and this was true. This was this There was it is, the backstory. I want the behind the scenes yeah. in this. Go ahead. And, and this is actually a bit of a stunt, but it, was a, it paid off. Until that moment where we led that guy who had written the prayer into that undisclosed location, that, that warehouse. It's like at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's great. Until we led him in there through these <laughs> locked doors and down those corridors, he, he hadn't seen it. So that was the first time that he had seen his prayer since it had been removed from his old school, which is why I think he got as right. emotional as he did. It's, a, it's yeah. a little humiliating. This was his great thing. I won't say it's the best thing he ever did in his life, but he had a long life. He's had a long life. He lives. But he was very proud of it, and now it is encased in wood. You can't read it. If they took off the wood casing, it would fall apart. It's stuck in a shelf somewhere. And we showed it to him. We said, here's your prayer. What do you think? And he was mad. Again, for reasons I said, I can understand emotionally, if not legally. And, now, and, uh, and it was, it was, you know, it made for good TV. What can I tell you? Yeah, it certainly was. And, and uh, we're talking to Peter Sagal. The, the uh, show is Constitution USA. Go to PBS.org. Watch it. I dare you. I'm going to be provocative, Peter. I dare you to try to watch this and then turn it off. I dare you. You'll let your children choke. I'm telling you. You won't turn this off. Uh, you, so, just, just grab a glass of water, Junior. I'm busy with this documentary. <laughs> um, you know, you talk about him getting emotional. Uh, there's a, I, I'm sure you had a lot of fun doing this. Um, and there yeah. was a lot of, we, and we have a lot of fun as a viewer watching it. There's a really difficult moment again in, in episode two, it's a free country, I believe, where you talk to the father, uh, oh, yeah. a father who lost his son in Iraq and who became kind of the centerpiece for this whole, uh, controversy, this speech, freedom of speech controversy, uh, with the, uh, Westboro Baptist church, God hates fags, uh, uh yeah, fine folks, uh, great yeah. people, great group of people. And, and, and. And it's just the way you take us through that is so it's very emotional and, and, and but very thoughtful as well, of course. Um, tell us about that case, who that guy was uh, before we get to wrap it up, Peter, because that's a really sure. important speech issue. And when it comes right. to the Constitution, that First Amendment is a, uh, really one of the most important, of course. Yeah, well, we go back to the basic principle. That the and why are you so pro-Nazi in this? Yeah, well, that's well, you know, I like the uniforms. What can I say? <laughs> Uh, you've ever heard of a guy named Thomas Finland? I mean, let me tell you. <laughs> moving, on. Um, moving on from that. The, um, the notion is, of course, that the First Amendment to protect free speech needs to protect the speech that everybody hates. Right. The speech that everybody likes, like your fine radio show, no one is going to object to, right? So what happened was, is in 2005, a private in Iraq named uh, Matthew Snyder was killed. And uh, he was brought back, you know, in combat, and he was brought back to the United States, and he was given a military burial. And it was around that time that um, the Westboro Baptist Church, I wouldn't even call them a church, I think they're just a bunch of lunatics from Westboro, from Kansas, who like attention. They were the guys who have been picketing military funerals with the signs saying, God hates fags, and they say that they believe that American soldiers are dying because we tolerate homosexuality. 
I think Mr. Phelps, who runs that church, has an issue with sexuality that he needs to explore in therapy. <laughs> so, that is a cheap shot, Sagal. Well, anyway, <laughs> I, I mean, I've known about these guys used to pick at AIDS victims' funerals, and then they helped with AIDS, so now they had to move on to something else to get attention. Anyway, <laughs> so Matthew, excuse me, Matthew was, Matthew was buried. His father, Albert, obviously distraught, loved his son. sees these protesters, is incredibly upset that they have come and soiled his son's funeral. He sues them in court for emotional distress. He wins in Maryland a huge multi-million dollar judgment because in Maryland they have a law that you can't inflict emotional distress by your behavior. So um, that goes to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court rules um, eight to one in the favor of the Westboro Baptist Church. And they basically say that according to the Constitution, you can't inflict damages on somebody. You can't control somebody through government action, which includes the courts, because their speech is offensive, even if it's really offensive. <laughs> um, and we talked to Albert Snyder, the father, about this experience. And I say to him on camera, I say, I try to make a rational argument saying, well, I mean, you can't really control speech based on how upset it makes you. I mean, doesn't it make all speech subjective? You know. Yeah, that was a that was a really that showed that was a tough question to have to ask, but it's the obvious question that you have to ask. But to ask this guy, that's a tough moment in the, in yeah, the series. I and, yeah, I mean, Albert, the father, is a tremendously nice guy, and yeah. and, and really wanted to discuss these issues, and obviously yeah. had no he had been through a lot and had no issue discussing it. And and what happens with him, not not to give away the ending, is is he lo- loses the case, obviously, but. In response to the case, many states and the federal government have passed content-neutral laws, that's very important, restricting protests around funerals. I, you can say whatever you want, but you've got to say it over there, you've got to say minimum distance, blah, blah, blah. And that's allowable under is that around? Is that around military funerals or any funeral? I, I'm not quite certain, and I'm afraid of getting out of my lane here in terms of discussing. No the worries. Law. Well, we'll get up. But go but, ahead. But, but basically, you know, it, it was a way of dealing with this situation that was constitutional. Right. I, I mean, it's the same thing as like when they have like free speech zones around political conventions. Right. You can do that as long as the, as long as you're not saying you that you're, as long as the message is not part of it. You can make various restrictions for public safety about speech. That's allowed under our constitution or under our current understanding of it. So they made these laws. So it's been much harder since those laws were passed nationally on a state level for the Westboro Baptist Church or anyone else to disrupt military funerals. So I said to Albert, you know, don't you think that in the end, although you lost, you won? And he agreed because in reaction to his case, there was such an outpouring of Democratic with a small d support for his position and his cause that the problem has been solved, but in a constitutional way. That is, according to the dictates of the Constitution and according to legislation passed under constitutional rules, and, and we, we hold this up as how the Constitution is supposed to work, meaning it's not supposed to magically solve our problems, like Dumbledore at the end of a Harry Potter book. <laughs> what it is supposed to do is it's supposed to allow us to figure out ways to solve our own problems in a sometimes messy fashion under the rules it sets. And that's what happened in Albert's case. And I think in the end, although what happened to him shouldn't happen to anybody, um, it's a hopeful sign because, you know, we can govern ourselves without restricting rights, but we can make things work for ourselves in a way that people find, I think, an improvement on the past under the Constitution. 
But you also provide a great moment there when you comment uh, to this uh, to this guy who lost his son in Iraq. Albert is his name, right? Um, yeah, um, about what his son died for. His son died for you know something. And we, we can argue a lot about this war in Iraq and and whether or not we're fighting for freedom and all this. But this you know his case. Uh, what what happens as a result in, in the fight that his father fights um, gives his son's life so much meaning, and that's a, that's a great poignant moment in this uh, in the series Constitution USA, which is on PBS. And the worst part about this series, of course, uh, Peter Sagal, is that it's only four hours long. There's got to be a lot that left got, uh, left on the uh, on the floor there in the yeah, editing room. Exactly. I want more. I want more, sir. If you want more, you can go to PBS.org. We have the whole site set up. A lot of outtakes, uh, including interviews that didn't make it into it, some extra stuff, um, and uh, you know a lot of other material. There are games that you can play. One of the things we wanted to do with this was to help improve the teaching of civics, which is a deadly subject yeah. uh, for most kids. And yep. a lot of one of the probably the most gratifying response I've gotten from this program is a lot of teachers have contacted me personally or online and said. I am so excited to use this. Teacher yeah, yeah, I've seen that too, and just tweeting it out and last that, night. Teachers were saying that to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and the idea that for kids, you know, across the country for the next few years, however long this is current, you know, we'll be seeing the Constitution being taught as a present living thing, i.e. it's happening now. Look around, yeah. there are these issues, as opposed to, oh, look at this chart showing the relationship between this, the Congress and the president and the judiciary. Look at this oil painting of guys with wigs writing the thing. To me, that will be a, a, a great thing. And I hope, I hope kids... Um, will get more interested and understand what's really going on, and all stop watching cable news. And yeah, yeah, I, I hear here, Peter Sagal. They, you know, you know, mentioned the Whigs and the founding fathers as two bold Americans. Do you think the Whig is a fancy of the past, or would you like to bring it back? Um, I personally believe in more elaborate hats because um, I think that wigs are a little gross. Frankly, and there's many men of human hair. Do you want to walk around, Pete? And I say this is one man without his own hair to another man without his own hair. Mm-hmm. Do you want to walk around with somebody else's hair on your head? I don't think so. But I think that we need to bring. I think we need to undo the damage that President Kennedy did to our country when he appeared at his inauguration without a hat, and get back into hats every day. Bowlers, mm-hmm. fedoras, snap brims, whatever you got. That's where I think you're so opinionated. I am. Peter Sagal, it's brilliant. It really is fantastic. And uh, you do a pretty good damn job, actually, keeping your opinion out of it. That's, uh, it leaves the viewer not necessarily knowing uh, what you think and, and do a great job of uh, letting us know what your subjects in this series think. It's fantastic. Congratulations. Really great work. And I really appreciate you joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Pete. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Peter Sagal, go watch it, everybody. PBS.org. PBS.org.